the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Over the last couple of programs here on Abounding Grace, we've been dealing with a very difficult passage in Chapter 9 of Romans, God's sovereignty over our salvation. We're going to take that a step further next. Join us. Paul is pretty straightforward in Romans chapter 9. He tells us that we are to be silent before God's sovereignty. It's his decision and his alone in our salvation. And along those lines, if you follow that line of thinking, God's children are his children by grace alone. You see, there's absolutely nothing you and I can contribute to this thing called salvation. And while many bristle at this truth, it brings about a great hope and a great confidence and a real comfort for those of us who understand it. Stay with us as we seek to understand this passage in Romans 9 a bit clearer, verses 14 through 29. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner and today's Abounding Grace. God's children by grace alone. We need to be firmly persuaded that our salvation, or God's restoring us to favor, is completely His work. If we take even an ounce of credit for ourselves, we rob God of His glory. And we treat His grace disrespectfully. We need to be told over and over what Paul says here in verses 15 and 18 and all the proofs that he gives for it. That God has mercy upon whom he will have mercy, and whom he wills, he hardens. Why? There's nothing like sovereign mercy, beloved, to drive pride from its lurking holes in our hearts. There's nothing like sovereign mercy to fill our hearts with gratitude, True, living, changing gratitude to God for His goodness to us. We can't even see how blind we are. We could not see that we were dead in our trespasses and sins until God came to us and illumined our darkness. Everything, the beginning, the progress, the consummation of salvation, it is 100% the work of of God. 100%. No one can take any credit. You may have been a believer for a long time. Well, it is God who has kept you. You have not kept yourself. You may have wandered from the fold and been brought back. Well, it was His mercy, God's undeserved kindness to sinners. And if we want to be consecrated to God, for our faith to have any energy to seek the Lord, 
to do our work for him, to worship him with our families. There's nothing so powerful as being faced with his sovereign mercy to produce within us a love for him, a sense of his great love for us, and then to yield ourselves to him. To drive home these truths, Paul selects three passages, one from Hosea and two from Isaiah. Together they stress that God saved Israel of the old by his grace. The old covenant people of God had strayed so far from God's covenant that the majority he forsook and he destroyed because they forsook him. But he saved a remnant. Of course, one wonders, why did he even save a remnant? It looked like the church in Isaiah's day, same time as Hosea, and certainly later, was going to perish from the earth. And even the best would follow the rest to hell. It was only by God's mercy that didn't happen. That is why he brings these things to our attention. God showed mercy to his true children and he preserved them from following and feeling the fate that befell the majority. Now these prophecies were originally directed to the Jews, but interesting enough, he now applies them to the Gentiles. It may seem strange, but really it is very fitting. If Israel... If the remnant in Israel was preserved solely by God's grace, and they had the covenant, the testimony, the ark of the covenant, all the sacrifices, if they were preserved solely by God's mercy, then what of the Gentiles who had rebelled against God's original covenant, who were without hope and, of course, without God? As wondrous as God saving the remnant in Israel was, it was even more wondrous, more of a tribute to his mercy, that he would save the Gentile world and make those who truly were not his people, his people by his grace. Turn with me to Hosea, please. We'll look at the first chapter. Hosea was basically a contemporary of Isaiah. And by the time Hosea was prophesying, Israel's apostasy was already underway. Notice here he tells the prophet in verse 6 of chapter 1. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruama, which means no mercy. For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will truly take them, I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Loruama, she conceived and bare a son. Then God said, call his name Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Loami means no people, not my people. These are terrible names. Can you imagine naming your daughter no mercy, 
your son, no people, not a people. What does this mean? This matches the horrors of the ten northern tribes and their apostasy from God. God says, you're cut off. No more mercy. You're not my people. God is saying, I'm not your God anymore. Do not call upon me. I will not answer you. And he didn't. And the ten northern tribes were blown to the dustbin of history. Yet in the midst of the terror of being rejected by God, the majority, God says, in Judah, the smaller number of them, I am going to save a remnant and I will call them my people and I will be their God. Now, if you have not read it, Hosea is an amazing book. Even if you had read it, it's still amazing. But God goes out into the wilderness to woo his people. He's like a husband whose wife said, I'm going to be a call girl. I'm going to sleep with whoever. I'm going to pursue all the other gods, all the other men. And God says, wait a minute, I'm the offended party. And yet, I'm going to go after you. And I promise I will cleanse you. I am calling you back. I'm going to go after you, even though you are the guilty one. Israel had despised God's goodness, his forbearance. That goodness had not led them to repentance, and they pursued other gods with a frenzy. Yet the Lord said in chapter 2 of Hosea, I'm going to go, so I'm going to do so, such a great work in you, verse 16, and it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt go, shall call me Ishi, or husband, and thou shalt call me no more Baali, master. In other words, the Lord says, you're going to call me my husband again. I'm going to save you. I'm going to go out and get you, verse 19, and I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. You know, there is nothing as marvelous as the mercy of God to sinners. There's nothing so wonderful as His love to us. Nothing. And Paul says back in Romans 9, this is the same. If you connect it to verse 24, as God's calling unto the Gentiles. They certainly were not God's people, that is the Gentiles, with a few notable exceptions like Job and Naaman and a few others. God assigned the entire old world to blindness, unbelief, and rebellion. Even when there was some nobility and some sparks of His image remained. Even where some of the best men sensed that something was wrong, still none of them had a clue as to what to do about it. Not a clue. And their lives, their religions, their families bore witness to God's judgment against man for rebelling against his original covenant in the garden, as well as for rebelling against him by their actual sins. The Gentiles were not the Lord's beloved. They were cut off and sunk in depravity. And this is most of us and our ancestors. And, what, what, and yet what does the Lord say? 
using Hosea and applying it to the Gentiles, he says, in mercy, undeserved love, I'm going to go out and I'm going to gather these rebels unto me. And I'm going to save them, and I'm going to marry them, and I'm going to preserve them for myself forever. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13, please. I want, to, I want you to see how one group of Gentiles responds to this. And maybe we should ask ourselves why we as a Gentile people have not responded similarly. The gospel here is preached by Paul and Barnabas in Poseidon, Antioch to Gentiles. Verse 46 of Acts 13. This is what they both said to the Jews. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. Remember, they were God's older people, the professing people of God. But seeing you put it from you, And judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, and here he quotes from Isaiah 49, I have set thee to be the light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. So he quotes here to a mixed gathering. There are Jews and Gentiles there, and he quotes Isaiah 49. Remember? The Lord says of his servant, I will make you a polished shaft. I will put my words in your mouth. I will give you to be a covenant to the people. I will give you to be a light to the Gentiles. And what did the Gentiles do? Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, and this was the first time they'd heard it, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. Amazing. The Gentiles don't rejoice like this anymore in mercy. We've enjoyed perhaps the blessing of the covenant for so long, had so much go our way, many of which were the fruits of God's blessing and his covenant, and yet now very little rejoicing over God's mercy in the church today. Oh, let's find a way to be hip and cool and in the now. Instead of going back to the very beginning, remembering there is only one thing that sustains joy. There is only one thing that sustains gratitude. There is only one thing that gets rid of our psychoses from living in suburban stupidity and urban blindness and rural blindness. It is mercy. A sense that God has had mercy upon us when we were rebels. So everything Paul has said thus far in Romans 9 about sovereign mercy is given very practical application now to the Gentiles by his use of Hosea. As with Israel, with the Gentiles, God's mercy is free and undeserved. All had rebelled against him. When it comes to election, he didn't choose based on merit or foreseeing that we, that we would choose him. It was all of grace, all of his kindness. Israel was a whore. The Gentiles were rebels. They were in the pit of rebellion. 
None could save themselves, neither Jew nor Gentile. None could see their depraved condition. And yet God showed mercy in His Son. So we need to recognize in ourselves, either the whore or the slave to sin, Gentile or both, if we have grown up inside the body of Christ, many of you for a while, one way or another, have played the harlot against the love of God and sought other gods and other lovers and broke the vows of infidelity that we made to Him. And if we are not born into the church, if we are more like Gentiles and outside of God's covenant, we have lived as rebels against Him. We didn't care what He said. We didn't even know we were lost. The only thing then for both of us is that God rescued us from our depravity, our wickedness, and He showed mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter how long you have been a believer, no matter how holy God is making you now by His grace, we need to remember that the fountain of our blessedness is the undeserved mercy of God. Does that strike you at all? He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He determined to show us mercy when we deserved His wrath. Amen. He laid our curse on the back of His beloved Son. So what do we need to do when we hear this? Because we're the Gentiles. Are our hearts cold? You know, it would be a shame if those in Antioch who only heard a few sermons, if they praised God and glorified His Word, and we, who have heard thousands, just kind of sit there and say, come on, give me something new. There is nothing more marvelous in this universe, beloved, than the mercy of God to sinners either going and getting those who strayed from him, like he did to the remnant, or saving the Gentiles for the first time out of the pit of rebellion. We have no other plea. There's no other boast but the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And mercy must be the song of our life, especially, and I have experienced this in my own life, and I hope you have too. If God has gone back, and guided you. If you have wandered maybe for a little while, you have reason to be wholly consecrated to His praise forevermore because He had, could have done and should have if we are going to going by strict justice. He should have given me to what He gave to the whoring Israel. See ya. I'm cutting you off. Your name is Loami. Your name is Loami. No mercy to you. You are not my people. So if your testimony is, I was running away from God as fast as I could, and He came back, and He rescued me. Your mouth should be filled with praise all the day long. If your testimony is, I've always known the gospel, I've always loved Jesus, oh, yes, I've sinned because I'm not perfect, but I've always believed in Him. He has had incredible incredible mercy upon me. So then love Him, cling to Him, praise Him. Turn with me now, please, to Isaiah chapter 10. The second passage that Paul brings forward is, is really a famous passage. 
because here the Lord over a century beforehand prophesies that he is going to raise up a particular instrument of judgment. His name is Cyrus, which drives critics of Scripture crazy. Come on, wait a minute. He knew him ahead of time. He named him in advance. Yeah, the Lord says, I'm going to raise up Cyrus in Isaiah 10 as an instrument of my judgment because my people are trusting the Assyrians. They're not trusting me. He says, after I destroy the mass of Israel for their apostasy, I'm going to save a remnant. Chapter 10, verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped out of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord and the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God, For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consummation decreed shall overflow with righteousness. Now in verse 28, back in Romans 9, Paul follows the Septuagint almost word for word, which of course is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in which basically the Lord says, I'm going to gather the remnant of my people quickly. He's going to make a short work of it. He's going to destroy his enemies. It's going to move quickly. And God is going to establish his people in righteousness, which he did through Ezra and Nehemiah and the prophets of the restoration, Haggai and Zechariah. Now, why does God even bring this prophecy forth? Because it establishes beyond dispute that God gives mercy to whom he will, and whom he will, he hardens, even within Israel. The majority were hardened, destroyed under God's judgment. What does it say in verse 20? Only a remnant, only a part of the whole, only a sliver was saved. So again, God gives mercy to whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. So the Jews already had the lesson centuries before Paul wrote Romans, and they were deluded then, as they were in the past, into thinking that because we are Abraham's natural children, that we are descended from him, God is, of course, going to save us. God is going to preserve our national institutions, So in presumption, they abandoned God's covenant, they ignored the gospel, they ignored his prophets, and so the Lord destroyed them. He showed mercy only to a remnant that he had chosen within that nation. So again here, by Isaiah, we see the glory of God's sovereign mercy. But we need to be careful. No no matter how much we may trust in our outward privileges. And everyone here today has plenty. And if you are members of the body of Christ, you have access to all of our Savior's sacraments. You have the means of grace and you have his word. Well, guess what? So did Israel. And these blessings did not preserve them from judgment. God is not obligated to show mercy. But it is free. It is gracious. 
It is a gift, and it is most certainly undeserved. So if you, like they did, despise God's blessings, the blessings will intensify the judgment. Why do those who run away from the gospel and the church often find their lives so hard and miserable? It is because the greater the blessing, the greater the judgment. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. As always, it's a delight spending time with you here in God's Word. And if today's program has been especially helpful to you, we'd love to hear about it. Would you take a moment and contact us? Let us know how the program is encouraging you in Christ. It would mean a great deal to us. From time to time, we'd like to know how the program is being used by God. And that would be a great gauge for us. A quick letter or a phone call. Here's how to contact us, 408-866-5607. That's our phone number, 408-866-5607. Or you can write to us at PMB, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB for post mailbox, number 402. 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is the zip code. If you'd like to know more about Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose or Pastor Gary Wagner and Abounding Grace, you can visit our website, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And leave us an email when you stop by. Let us know you paid us a visit. You're also welcome to, again, call. That phone number is 408-866-5607. If you'd like a copy of today's program, by the way, mention today's date when you contact us and we'll get a copy out to you. The cost is $5. And any amount you send above and beyond cost of resource materials will go right back into the radio program. As this is a listener-supported ministry, we're able to continue our daily presence here on this station as you continue to support us financially and prayerfully. We appreciate your help in this endeavor. Thank you again. For further information, reformedheritage.org or 408-866-5607. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.